better way to start than just to start, I guess. So yeah. Well, uh, we have a few <laughs> announcements to make. Um, Whitley and I have talked it over and we've decided that we're going to take a little break. Just we we both have some things going on and we and we need to take time for that. And also because we kind of want to take time to brainstorm, like go through what's worked, what hasn't worked um and come back at the beginning of 2022 with better content and that's including this podcast social media literally all of it so I mean we're excited (laughs) yeah and kids just remember this isn't your fault your mom and I just have a few things to work out (laughs) and it's gonna be it's gonna be better well (laughs) physical therapy is gonna be coming here for my grandma yeah Whitley's gonna be taking care of her grandma yes Um, she broke her hip uh this past weekend so I'm also going to be a elderly caretaker now not I'm not elderly I'm going to be taking care of an elderly patient maybe I am elderly it's probably gonna it's probably gonna age me a little bit so uh yeah but um we have some ideas in the works and some things that we've been talking about since the beginning that we just haven't had time to do um, and this is going to give us some much needed time to kind of plan ahead. Um, that doesn't mean our content's like going away. We strongly encourage you to follow us on social media, um, especially TikTok, because if we're taking a break here, then I kind of, um, my goal is to build up our content there. In the meantime, we highly, highly, highly encourage you. And we plead with everything we have in us to, um, please leave us a review. Um, especially if you're one of our listeners on Apple podcasts, um, their algorithm is just like, basically it's, we can't move up anywhere on their charts until we get a million billion reviews. So you can tell us your animal's name or what your favorite food is, but as long as you leave us that five-star review, that's going to help us for when we come back. Um, and the more reviews we have and the higher we move up um, then the better our content can get for you. Um, so please, please leave us a review. Please share us with your friends. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Help us help you help us. So please. (laughs) So we all have a little bit of homework to do over this winter break. Yes. But we're going to come back stronger than ever. This is your winter reading, but we're not leaving you hanging because I do have a story for today. I'm excited for. We're going to end on a funny note because I'm going to tell you about the craziness of the 1904 Olympics. Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Trussler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. Okay, I'm here for it. I'm super interested in the history of the Olympics, so I can't wait to hear this. So a backstory real quick. Whitley and I talked about our our goal for this, like, season one finale, whatever this is. Um, And originally it was going to be us telling two short stories and then telling you that uh, we're leaving you, but not forever. (laughs) Um, But Whitley's had a bunch of stuff going on, which is, you know life happens unforgivable 
which is fine because <laughs> I have been Googling for like four days, like short, funny history stories that I could tell in under 10 minutes. Um, I found this, I was afraid it would be over 10 minutes, but it worked out because you didn't have a story. So now I can take all the time I need. Um, because this is hysterical and we're going to have a cameo of someone we've already told a story about. So it's coming full circle. Season one is ending very well. So Whitley, let's travel back all the way to 1904. And at this time, the UL, the blah, 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 already starting off great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so the U.S. held its first Olympics. This is the first Olympics we have ever held, and it's in St. Louis. So uh, they tied it into that year's World Fair, and it was uh, celebrating the centennial of the Louisiana Purchase. So we have like a bunch of stuff going on: Olympics, the centennial, and the World's Fair. As a country, we're killing it. <clears throat> so, also, so sorry. I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I think I'm dying. So, um, Rest in peace. Yeah, RIP. Maybe we won't come back. <laughs> so, during this, just like a brief overview of where we are so far um, and where we are in time and how far we have freaking come. So, during this um, Olympics, gymnast George Iser won six medals including three gold. And that was with a wooden leg that was just oh. sprinkled in there. That is not the point of the story. It was sprinkled in there. And I thought, hmm, interesting. So I'm I think we it. all deserve to know that fact. I think so. I think that's also a big feat that you won all those medals and you have a wooden leg. Well, it's like, actually a big foot because he only has, he doesn't have feet. So it can't be a okay. big feat. Okay. <laughs> Well, he's not Bigfoot either. I don't imagine that he's living in the woods somewhere in Kentucky. So I had to get at least one bad joke in. It wouldn't be a season finale (laughs) if I didn't. So the games were pretty overshadowed by the fair. And that's because they had... Listen, let's remember it was 1904, okay? They had what were called anthropology days. Long story short, that's where non-Caucasian individuals performed athletic feats for the amusement of the Caucasian individuals, meaning that they had um, like belly dancing or um, like different, like, I don't know how to explain it, like sword fighting and just like stuff that you didn't normally see here they were from other countries but it was like basically a sideshow freak show type deal but we spun it as anthropology days of course they did yes but let me tell you because it was a world's fair people from all over the world were coming to st louis So there was a French historian and the founder of the international, um, or I'm sorry, internal Olympic committee. His name is Pierre and I'm do not speak French. So, so sorry in advance. Uh, Pierre de Calperton, maybe anyway, his name's Pierre. I know that for a fact. He was heard to say while he was watching these anthropology days, quote, As for that outrageous charade, 
it will, of course, lose its appeal when black men, red men, and yellow men learn to run, jump, and throw, and leave the white men behind them, end quote. And I read that, and I was like, oh, shoot, like, okay, okay, we love the Parisians. I think that happened. Oh, it happened. <laughs> I think that's present day, ago. for sure. Yeah, we're, we're been there, done that, past that. So, white men can't um, jump. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the highlight of, here's where we're getting into the point of why I'm telling you this story. So the highlight of the Olympics at the time was the marathon and was conceived to honor the classical heritage of Greece, where the, we all, I'm assuming we all know, um, that's where the Olympics like was founded was in Greece. However, the spectacular event for the marathon that people had in mind quickly turned into what I'm going to refer as to as a shit show. Um, such a shit show that the event was nearly abolished for good. Like the I, whole Olympics was almost abolished. No, no, because, no. Oh, marathon. Oh, the oh, marathon oh, oh gosh. Where like they built the Olympics around the marathon and we're going to get rid of the marathon. So let me tell you why. Let's start. So there were a few runners who had either won or placed at events such as the Boston Marathon or previous Olympic marathons. However, a majority of the competitors were either middle distance runners or were labeled as oddities. Again, we're in 1904. Literally what oddity means, and I was like, I'm appalled, but like, I'm appalled but I'm not surprised. Oddity literally were individuals from other countries who may or may not have been non-white. That's my description. And again, we're at a world's fair, which means that the world is coming here to compete, but we're classifying them as oddities. Just let that all sink in, okay? So let me tell you how our beautiful marathon event turned into a shit show categorized in my notes as here's what happened so august 30th 303 p.m david francis president of the louisiana purchase exposition company fired the pistol to note the start of the race let's set the scene heat and humidity in the 90s It is a 24.85 mile course. There are seven hills varying 100 to 300 feet high, cracked stone across the roadways that they have to cross, cross town traffic because they're crossing roads. They're also, because they're crossing roads, have to watch out for delivery wagons, railroad trains, trolley cars, And the most important, people walking dogs. They have two places. Okay, so uh, Whitley, again, let me refresh your memory two seconds ago. It's a 24.85 mile course. They only have two places to secure fresh water. First being a water tower six miles in. 
The second being a roadside well at 12 miles in. I mean, there's no way this was not going to be a disaster. But why do you let me let me ask you, because I think this would be funny. How does this make you feel and what is your opinion or thoughts so far on why you think this is? Why I think it's going to be a disaster. You know, why you, why you think they only have two places of fresh water. (laughs) Is it because like they don't have portable water? Is it because it's places where water would naturally be? I wish that was it. You want me to tell you why? Oh, I guess so. (laughs) The blame resides with James Sullivan who is the chief organizer of the games. They only have two places to secure fresh water because James wanted to test the limits and effects of purposeful dehydration. So it was decided that they would minimize fluid intake. So this guy's just experimenting on world-class athletes Correct. and not telling them. Correct. Yes. That's what we, oh, yes, that's what we've that, decided to do. That is way worse than I think I could have. I just thought maybe you were going to say, oh, it's just like poor planning. Yes. Well, what I think is even worse than this is the fact that people said they heard him and said, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Like, that's the part. Like, you can have an idea. People have ideas. But the fact that, like, Other people heard it and said, James, you're brilliant. Let's do it. (laughs) That's the problem I have. Like, yeah, somebody should have been like, what are you doing? Maybe not do that. But here's the also crazy part is that their coaches and like physicians and stuff were completely fine with it. How they, how they monitored all this was they had cars motored, um, or I'm sorry, cars run like running beside, well, not running, they were driving, but driving beside the runners and the coaches and physicians were in the cars monitoring their runners to ensure they don't die. That, that's how we're going to fix this. So I think at that point, you should be like, <clears throat> wow, if there's like a pretty high chance of these people dying so much so that we need cars on the course and doctors next to the runners, yeah, maybe don't do that. Well, here's the thing. The cars made it worse because all it did was kick up dust and launch competitors into coughing fits. And guess what? They don't have water to clear it. So they're just like coughing and hacking up a lung the entire time. Yeah. Which was... I'm not a runner, but you've run and I'm not an idiot. I know you have to like monitor your breathing, make sure like, you, you know, like runners have like runner lungs to make sure that you get enough oxygen when you're running and you're like, you learn how to like balance your breathing so you can make it like long distances. I'm not an idiot. I understand how it works. So, like, the fact that you're coughing up a lung because of dust is not going to help you complete the race. Again, for the third time, it's a 24.85-mile course. 
but I digress. Let's find out what happens. So <clears throat> one, we have a guy named Fred Lors. Remember him. He's important. He led the 32 starters, like gun goes off, Fred's in the lead. But by mile one, Thomas Hicks edged ahead. So Lors and Thomas Hicks are going to be super important by the time the story ends. So <clears throat> next, we have William Garcia. He's a California resident. He is running, living his best life. He nearly became the first casualty. Why, you ask? Well, Whitley, he collapsed, collapsed on the side of the road and was hospitalized for hemorrhaging. Why? Dust coated his lungs and ripped his stomach lining. Awesome. Yep. Love that. Next, John Lorden. Running, living his best life, suffered vomiting and just gave up like excess vomiting, like would vomit, stop, then start again. So he was just like, I'm fucking done. Like, just count me out. Good for him. Call it quits. Yes. Fourth major character in our story, Len Tao from South Africa. I, it's not funny, but it is kind of funny. He was chased a mile off the course by wild dogs. What? Yes. Where did the wild dogs come from? Well, because they're at this time, like, so the marathon at this time was not like a set course, like, like Boston or, or like the New York city marathon that just happened recently. Like you're on paved roads, they section streets off, like they go across the bridge, you know, and NYC. So like people are off the roadway. That's not what this was at this time. You literally, that's why I went through all this at the beginning. You literally were running for your life because they did not stop cars. They did not stop trains, nothing. They just said, here's the course, whatever happens, happens. Including getting chased <clears throat> by wild dogs. Correct. Yes. <laughs> so now he's out of the race. Next, we have Felix Carvajal, I think is how you pronounce his name. I could not, I couldn't find it. Um, he He's the one that cracks me up the most. So he was making good time, but that's... That's aside from the fact that he paused to chat with spectators and broken English. He even stopped at a car and shared peaches with the passengers. He then stopped at an orchard and snacked on apples. So he's doing all this, but still making good time. That's probably <laughs> because everybody else is dying from dust in their lungs. Um, <clears throat> Including you. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, you have to cut out all my coughing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but he snacks on these apples. They're rotten. So now he's suffering from stomach cramps. So he decides to take a nap. During the marathon? <laughs> yes. Yes. So while he's napping... 
Sam Meller finds himself in the lead somehow, but now he's suffering from cramping because he's running in this 90 degree heat and he has no water and he has dust everywhere. So he slowed to a walk because of his cramps, but eventually stops. So now he's out of the race. At the nine mile mark, cramps plagued Lors. So now we're back at the beginning with Fred Lors. So he has a brilliant idea with He's going to grab a ride in one of the accompanying cars that's following the race to make sure they don't die. As he gets in and they motor him still on course with everybody else that's running, he waves to spectators and fellow runners as he's passing them in the car. Remember this because it comes up again. Oh boy. So at the 10 mile mark, Hicks, who we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. begged a two-man support crew for a drink. They say, nah, man, you have not hit your 12-mile mark yet. But what we will do is we will sponge out your mouth with some distilled water. What? Swear. (laughs) So seven miles from the finish, his coaches decide, and we're still on Hicks, his coaches decide, okay, well, we're going to feed you this concoction real quick. And it's strychnine and egg whites. This is the first recorded instance of drug usage in modern Olympics because they're using strychnine. Interesting. Yes. Huh. Yes. You know us in the U.S., a lot of firsts. They may not always be good ones, but (laughs) we're at the beginning. So, Lores, he's in this car. He's motoring down, waving at everybody, looking at them like, sucks to be you, having to run. He's now recovered from his cramps. It's a miracle. And he emerges after he has now spent 11 miles in the car. So he did not run them. He was in the car for 11 miles. He gets out of the car, okay? Because he's like, my cramps are fine. Like, let me get out of the car. One of Hicks' handlers or coaches saw this and said, yo, buddy, you didn't run all this shit. Get off the course. But he kept running and finished the race. And of course, like nobody at the end saw all of like his drive, like riding. So to them, he finishes the race with a time of under three hours. The crowd, again, they have no idea, are pumped because Lors is an American. And that means an American has now won the marathon. Mm -hmm. They're screaming, they're yelling. It's, you know. America. Here's our cameo. Alice Roosevelt. Oh. Places a wreath upon his head and is about to give him the gold medal when a witness says, quote, 
someone called an indigent halt to the proceedings with the charge that Lors was an imposter, end quote. Everyone starts booing because they now believe they've been duped, which I mean, kind of is what happened. And Lors starts smiling and he says, I never, I never intended to accept this. What do you mean? I'm not an (laughs) imposter. I just wanted to finish the race and go on with this because for the sake of the joke, duh. Literally. that's That's really what he said. Yeah. Word for word. I honestly thought as he was in the car or something, he was going to, like, die by falling out of it or something stupid. So I'm surprised he's still alive. Yeah, momentarily he wins the race. Um, (laughs) But after the fact, he literally gives back his crown of, or his wreath crown, and runs away. Well, he didn't run those 11 miles, so he's got plenty of gas left (laughs) in the tank. Yes. So we now have... Our story goes back to Hicks. <sighs> Mind you, a recap. When we last left him, he took a concoction of strychnine and egg whites. Okay? He's now grown ashen and limp because he's freaking taken strychnine. So he forces his legs to a trot once he has found out that Lors is now disqualified and he's now the closest one to the finish line. Everybody else is way back, like dying, basically. So his trainers, this is why you vet people before you let people give you stuff. His trainers go, you know, what's a good idea. Let's give him another dose of egg whites and strychnine. Oh no. And you know, what's even a better idea. Let's have him wash it down with some brandy. <gasps> Not water? Like, at least give the guy some water. Really? They were past, they were past mile 12. They're, they don't have any more water, okay? Okay. Brandy or nothing. So, they also soak his head in warm water, which, again, then comes back to, where'd you get the water from? If I were him and they were soaking my head in warm water, I've been sucking that water up like like a fish. Yeah. Which, again, I don't know. It's not documented. So he could have been. I have no idea. Um, but after all of this, he picks up his pace, but just a smidge. Whitley, he's now hallucinating. And he now believes that even though he has a mile left to go before he finishes, he he's hallucinating so badly. He actually thinks he has 20 miles still to go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Like that's, that's where this man is. Okay. It's funny, but it's not, but it's funny. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> the last mile he's begging for something to eat. And then he's also like, please let me lie down (laughs) because he thinks there's 20 miles left. So he wants to like get up, give up. And they're like, no, man, like you have a mile, just keep going. So Whitley, what do they do? They give him more brandy. He refuses tea. And he swallows two more egg whites. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> now remember, I told you at the beginning that they had seven hills varying 100 to 300 feet high that they mm-hmm. had to go to through on the whole course. During this last mile, he has to do two hills. He walks up the first of the last two hills and jogs down the incline, which makes sense. Anybody's going to jog down an incline, but that's how, first of all, that sets the scene of like how far ahead he is that he could literally like barely be jogging and walk up a hill. And he's still like, is probably going to win. Um, but he does that twice. Coming into the stadium towards the finish line, he tries to run, but he's like, his body is like done. So he's doing more of like a shuffle, kind of like what you imagine, like, like I imagine like a grandpa who's like 85, like running, like that's what I picture. Oh gosh. Um, So sorry if you're a grandpa in 85 and listening to this. Um. So it's so bad, though, that his trainers come in and carry him over the finish line and they're holding him up because his body is so limp that all his all his feet are doing are moving back and forth in the air. He thinks he's still running, but they're literally holding him up. So he's declared the winner, which I feel like after all this, he deserves it. Like yes. just give him, he could last given the winner. Okay. <laughs> so it takes four doctors and one hour to even get him feeling well enough to leave the grounds. Just to leave. He lost eight pounds during the race. During the race? During the race. Like he weighed eight pounds more at the beginning than he did at the end. Wow. And we'll end it on a quote. He said, quote, never in my life have I run such a tough course. The terrific hills simply tear a man to pieces, end quote.